Hi there, and welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. This is episode 38, and Christopher Mitchell takes us to Mount Vernon in the state of Washington. The municipal network in Mount Vernon is an open access network that connects schools, municipal facilities, hospitals, and businesses in their own town, and also in the nearby communities of Burlington and the Port of Skagit. Mount Vernon does not provide the services themselves, but allows independent service providers to contract with local businesses over the city's infrastructure. Christopher visits with Jill Boudreau, mayor of Mount Vernon, and also with Kim Kleppe, information services director for the city, and Jana Hansen, community and economic development director. Let's go to the interview. We're going to start today with an introduction from Mayor Jill Boudreau. Thank you for joining us for uh, the show and telling us a little bit about your community. Oh, thank you so much. You know, uh, the city of Mount Vernon is a really dynamic small city. Uh, in northwestern Washington, and we have an amazing infrastructure with our fiber optic network, uh, managing it for economic growth, but also the benefit uh, for the city residents, and we're really proud of the fact that we have that. Excellent. Yeah, I was uh, very excited to hear about it, so I'm looking forward to helping our audience to understand more about it. Well, thank you for giving us the opportunity to share. So now I'm joined by the Community Economic Development Director of Mount Vernon, uh, that's Jana Hansen, as well as the Information Systems Director, Kim Kleppe. Uh, thank you for, for coming on the show to help us learn more about this network. Oh, we're, we're happy to do so. Yeah, very happy to get it out there. Can we take a step back and just get a sense of where this network began? Sure, I can uh, give you uh, what started this network. There's a couple things at the beginning that we were uh, way back when we we're trying to hook up our uh, treatment plant back to City Hall so we installed fiber to that in 1995 and we connected a couple of our buildings back then and uh, really started this whole thing in the year 1997 uh, the mayor and the police chief at the time approached me as they wanted to buy a new building for the police department and so uh, and they asked me how are we going to connect to them I said well we need to install fiber well, it was a long run. It was a two-and-a-half-mile run to where they were going to locate. And so we proceeded with that. And in that time, we also made a, a deal with the 911 center and the county to share some expense on the cost back then. And so with that, in 1999, uh, we completed the first half of the fiber ring, and that's what got going. The previous year, in 1998, we had a huge uh, community economic fiber summit and we even had Bill Gates Sr. speak at it, and we had a full house of 325 seats filled to go over the fiber infrastructure and what we could do with the community back in 1998. So we had a very good kickoff for this whole thing. And at the beginning, we provided fiber for mainly the schools, the hospital, the county, the PUD, and the college. And we just created a plan where everyone paid into a maintenance plan to keep it up upkept and fix anything that would happen along the way. When you decided to just go ahead and start building these this fiber network, I'm curious uh, if you were intimidated at all. Uh, we find that, that many of the communities that have done this do it through an electrical department, and you did not do that. You don't have an electrical department in Mount Vernon, and so no. you just went ahead and did it. And I'm, I'm curious what, what was going through your mind as you were making that commitment. Uh, just doing it. I, I mean, there wasn't anything going on. We were just trying to come up with the money. The first part of the money we got, we did the bills, but we were able to finance it internally. Then we got a larger grant, uh, what we call a curb grant, Janet can speak better to that, to help finish the other half of the ring. 
Community and Economic Revitalization Board. Um, you can submit applications for any type of economic development project um, to that board, and then they select those that are worthy of, of the awards. We received that grant in the year 2000, and that's when uh, we were uh, going to uh, build off for excess capacity to uh, businesses in the community outside of the government agencies that I spoke of earlier. So with that, we brought in our first provider in the year 2001. The plan there was to help to be able to get, get fiber to businesses to grow. And that's the start of how this went. And since then, we now have eight providers on the fiber. We do a passive optical network, and we do a little bit of dark fiber, not a lot of it. Case-by-case uh, -case basis if someone really needs interdepartment, interbusiness connectivity, or they want a bigger bandwidth to the big uh, pipe outside the city. As you started making the initial investments, um, they were was that from something you budgeted in the normal process, or was there some bonding, or was the initial funding from some of the grants? You know, we get we had a very unusual as of building these agreements with the various agencies, like the school district and the in the county and the PUD and the college, for example, um, we were able to build, once we built the ring, we were able to share costs for some of the installations in a lot of the same areas. Also went to some of our, maybe our sewer pump stations and it was close to a school you know, or close to a county or, uh, or by the college, we were able to hook up some of these other businesses and they would just pay the cost of the connection to get into the fiber. So we shared a lot of costs to build it up at the beginning and had very good government relations with that and worked really well. So that's how it got built. Okay, so you didn't have to take on any debt. It was more the departments were, it sounds like, cost shifting, right? They would have been leasing those connections anyway. And with this, they were able to, to get a far better connection at a lower price by working with you directly. Absolutely. We've taken on no debt building this. It's really incredible given the results that you've had. Yeah, it's been a good community project with everyone involved to participate. Later on in the plan, the city of Burlington and the port of uh, Skagit, we got another grant, Stress County .08 sales tax grant to help deploy fiber through Burlington, extend a little bit more our demarked locations in Mount Vernon and go all the way out to the port. We did that and built that in 2008 to expand the fiber into two other community areas. And that's been a tremendous success for the Port of Skagit because they've been able to place businesses um, out there because of the infrastructure that we've provided. So a good economic development story there. Excellent. I want to I want to turn into that for the um, listeners who are unfamiliar. Burlington is a little bit north of Mount Vernon, and the Port of Skagit is uh, just to the west. So um, you're, you're sort of a trio of communities, it looks like, on the map. And uh, I would guess that your economic fate is, is intertwined. So you're, it sounds like you're not really competing over jobs. You're working together to make sure that there's plenty of jobs for everyone. Correct. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the benefits. What, what are some of the economic development uh, results you've seen as a result of this network? Well, you know, the health care industry is one of the leading um, economic drivers in Mount Vernon, and we just have a great network of health care providers. The Skagit um, Valley Hospital is, of course, the major hospital in the region. And having that connection um, has provided, has allowed them to grow in many ways. And one of the, the companies that's um, come here because of the fiber infrastructure and also because of the, the health care industry 
is MIN North yeah. um, NF, I believe. MIN NF, which stands for Medical Information Network for the North Sound. Right. And they rely on the, the fiber network to be able to do their work, and they provide all, all of the IT work um, for the different um, healthcare providers up and down the I-5 corridor in this northwest um, region. So companies like theirs and other companies we've seen come again from the Seattle area because of the, the fiber infrastructure that we have in place. Aerospace industry, um, because we're so close to Seattle and Everett, is big here as well, and a lot of the engineering firms that have come here and have established businesses, again, rely on that fiber optic network. Um, so those are two main um, economic drivers here in the Valley. And, you know, of course, the technology, and we, you know, I just mentioned um, MIMS NF, but we had one come up from uh, Seattle recently, Digital Legal, bringing 22 jobs with it. They were on copper down in Pioneer Square and came here because of the quality of life. But again, without that fiber infrastructure, they may not have selected us. But we're perfectly situated geographically between Vancouver, BC, and Seattle. We've got um, technology, banking, government, healthcare, aerospace, manufacturing, and others, but those are the main industries that support this valley. So being able to provide this infrastructure the way that the public agency can is such a benefit to us economically in allowing these industries that we want to see grow here, come here and flourish and provide the jobs. It's interesting because I know that Seattle recognizes the problem it has with Pioneer Square. And the dynamic, if I had to guess, was you have a company that's not having its needs met. It's looking around. And they may not have recognized the benefits of moving to your community if you didn't have the fiber optic network. Um, you know, we're always trying to have a realistic approach of how companies deal with this and make these decisions. And, and uh, I'm curious to what extent um, the the fiber network attracts new businesses. Well, I don't. Th yeah, and I don't think we would have we would have gotten the interest from those two companies we just mentioned if we didn't have it. It's interesting when we look at the demographics. These are people that have families or are older. It's not necessarily the the people coming out of the schools that want that that high action lifestyle. So it's that second, third, fourth phase of their lives, and they've moved to an area where it's affordable where, um, you know, they have the whatever their interest might be, if it's outdoors, um, just living in a nice, clean environment, that's what they're looking for. And that added bonus, or perhaps the driving factor, um, having that infrastructure to support their business needs makes the decision easy. To what extent has the network helped with uh, the schools and the hospitals? I mean, you mentioned briefly that, that that was one of the initial focuses of connecting them. I'm curious if there's a uh, if you can give us a sense of what kind of connections these uh, community anchor institutions have and uh, and what the savings are for them. But the schools have always and the hospital have been a partner with us since '99. As we started interconnecting, the uh, the hospital actually got connected in 2001 on the back side of the ring. And the schools we started uh, in 99 connecting the high school and then a couple of the smaller schools at that point. As we built the ring around, we were able to interconnect with the rest of their schools. So right now, with the seven schools and two administrative offices, we have ten sites with them connected up on the fiber. 
where they enjoy no monthly charges for this. Um, they are allowed to the benefit of, uh, of having the fiber at gig speeds on a ring without having to uh, pay a monthly charge. So if they were to pay a monthly charge, they couldn't afford to do it. Uh, a dark fiber provider, just for dark fiber uh, here, would charge $700 a month for one port on that. Uh, that's the comparable rate up here, and they couldn't afford to do it, the cost. And when you say one port, uh, that's basically one site per month. One site. That's one site per month, and they could not afford that. With uh, the health industry, they're they're interconnecting with the health industry, and that's only going to grow at this point. But they're going to interconnect and allow the same thing and reduce these costs as some of these entities are already paying a large sum a month to help to reduce their costs so they can better use that money for other things. And with the... Uh, the city, we I estimated back in uh, about 2002-2003, with all our interconnect with all our facilities we have, we save over $100,000 a year just having the fiber not paying those costs. And when we hooked up uh, for FAST, when I hooked up Burlington on fiber in 2000, finished in 2005 for those facilities, we actually took $52,400 off the books they were spending a year. Wow. Centralized in the voice and data, and that doesn't give the benefit of not only taking that off, but giving them good network around to all the facilities in Burlington. So there is a huge cost savings. I could never quantify in Mount Vernon, but I know it's in excess of a hundred thousand. We save here that we wouldn't, that we don't take as we own our own infrastructure, and that allows us to use those some of that savings to do other things, and plus allow free networking for the government agencies. And still with support of a maintenance contract where we set up an advisory group so we ever need to replenish that, everyone's on board with that in the original agreements. So uh, what happens right now? It sounds like this network is running very successfully. Uh, what happens with the net income you, you bring in? Does it sit in an account waiting for future network expenses, or is it able to be uh, some of it go to the general fund to lower other pressures on the tax base? Uh, what happens? Well, right, right now, the, the funding we bring in there, uh, most of it goes back into fiber funding. We've built up a capital reserve with this uh, of funding. Uh, right now, we don't have a lot of, right in our capital reserve, but we don't spend, we have about $100,000 in reserve that we're sitting there right now from the fiber fund. Um, can we allocate some of this out to uh, a general fund? At some point, yes. Uh, we are seeing in the last two years since the new mayor came on, uh, trend for getting on fibers got way up. We're suddenly getting a lot more businesses and entities getting on fiber. So that's going to go up and we'll probably see at some point, um, being able to allocate a lot more back to the general fund as a profitable, a very profitable uh, venture here. We have not, uh, like I said, been in the red ever since day one. The plan we did was kind of a, baby step plan where we, we brought the infrastructure in, we did a lot of the basic setup, even with the pawn equipment with a grant, uh, where it allowed us to provide services without any being in the red at all. And if we deploy fiber with the monies we receive, we were able to keep outreaching to different places and, and uh, spider webbing it out. And so it's gone very well from that point of view. And it allows us to be nimble. So if we have a business that's working at a site that we haven't extended fiber to yet, we've got the ability to do that. And, you know, that's such a difference between the public and the private. 
in that we're responding to those economic needs and we can do it quickly. Um, so, you know, as opposed to perhaps the private side, which may wait till there's a larger employment base and, and business base to, to serve. So we're, we're, we're ready to do that. This is exactly what I wanted to ask you, is if you could walk me through, let's just say that I have a, a business that I want to locate in the area and you haven't built out to the area that I am. I know that in other communities, they, uh, that business might go to a an existing provider or several and, and ask for better services. And, and if they have a very high need, they might have to pay a, a very stiff upfront fee for the build-out cost. And then there's going to be a very high monthly payment uh, for high bandwidth speeds. Um, so what how, what's different in working with you? I, I call um, the Mount Vernon Fiber Optic uh, Network, and uh, what happens next? Well, what happens typically for me, I get a location or an address, and I take a look at the location address where the fiber is. Now, since we've been able to deploy fiber in business areas almost everywhere in the city, we don't have an issue. The, the biggest issue that I have is on a business where there's not a clear path entry to a building, and I'm trying to been working. We did an ordinance back in 1996 to make sure we got conduit in the ground and where, when construction was going on. So we had developers put it in a lot of locations that, to help offset some of those costs. And that's probably my largest cost to get in the facility is the, the clear path entry into a building. So we look at the cost and then we look at the, uh, I look at where it makes economical sense for the city to deploy that a closer D mark is I see a good point to get to multiple businesses in the area. There is occasionally uh, one, one in the blue that comes up that's just too hard to build there because we're not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. But that's very, very rare. Most of the time I can figure out a way to make it work. In the city ourselves, I put a little bit of the money coming from the fiber money coming in to help deploy farther out there. That's what I use the money to help keep building it out farther and farther so it gets reinvested back into the fiber. So it helps businesses get on and get the need and, and it helps bring them to town easier that way. And so the businesses aren't a partner in the same way that the schools are, I'm guessing, right? The businesses have to pay a recurring fee. They don't pay a recurring fee to the city. Uh, they pay a recurring, they, they go to a provider. We have eight providers and they choose the provider. And how it works is we charge the provider 15% of the gross of what they make. So if they charge them $300 a month for fiber bandwidth, say they want a 50-minute connection to the Internet and they charge them 300 a month, we would get $45 a month for that. Right. I had neglected to uh, to mention up until now that this is an open access network, um, that you build it out and you do not compete with the private sector. You enable uh, all manner of independent ISPs to, to get on and, and to create a real market for services. Yeah, that's correct. Absolutely. And it also kept our costs way down. Uh, we don't have to have the personnel to do that. We don't have to uh, manage that infrastructure and get all the calls for services. And having the private business do what they do best made sense. I mean, Tacoma at the time, they have ClickNet. You're probably well aware of ClickNet in Tacoma yes. where they provide all three services, voice, video, and data down there. Well, they have quite a network down there built for that, but it's, it's all that they own it all. But I don't. It was, I saw a lot of headaches with trying to go down that path. Can we do that? Yes, but we don't. Is there anything else that, that we should know about Mount Vernon uh, during this discussion? Yes, we're a great place to connect. So bring your businesses here to Mount Vernon. <laughs> 
We are very tech-driven here right now, and we're we're uh, starting forming. You're familiar with TAG in Bellingham, he said, and we're forming a new TAG, Gadget TAG Association here down in Mount Vernon, and we have quite a turnout of technology people here already. A lot are already on the fiber and being aware of what the possibilities, and so we're trying to attract technology people to our location here. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you're already uh, well on your way to succeeding in that in that effort. And uh, if I didn't love winter so much, I should be tempted to come and uh, check it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you should. I'm I'm running out of room in the United States. I'm going to end up in Canada the way winters are going lately, unfortunately. So. But um, I, I do want to ask you, as you um, are expanding the network, do you have any tips for other communities that, that want to make investments like you have and in, in how to best develop a map and have a sense of how to coordinate different kinds of infrastructure projects? Any tips? Well, the, the number one thing is uh, being open with your community partners because you can't build it without community partners. And you need both partners in the government side, in the public side, and also in the private side to really be successful. If you can't build those partnerships, you might as well, uh, it's tough. It will be tough on you. <laughs> but, you know, using your, your comprehensive plans and your, your zoning maps and things like that, those tools will identify those areas that are intended to grow for office, for um, business, and that's where you would want to focus your, your efforts and your money to put in that infrastructure. And as Kim mentioned, ensuring that when you do have a development project in place, just like they put in the sewer, the water lines, and, and all the other utilities, that the conduit is also part of that. You learn to share costs with your partners is a, is a big tip. When, so when you're deploying, you look at the areas, and then Usually what I do is, uh, if we're trying to build a connection for a school or a hospital, I try to bring in, well, what else is in that area? Um, same with us, ourselves, if we're going to another pump station, what else can we help offset some of the costs of the build? You know, so usually when we get a build to a customer, we had one here just last year that it was a excessive bill to get down there. So I had uh, everyone... Uh, the providers all marketing the area heavily at the time to help offset some of the costs, and it's worked out really well. We went in with one customer that had to move, and since then we've added um, five more down there just because of that on top of the one. So it's worked out real well. When you say partners, um, I you know immediately think of the schools, the hospitals, the, the other municipal departments. Who are some of your partners in the private sector? Private sectors have to do basically in a development area. You become basically when you get using the private area, usually working with the providers and letting them know, and they're going out and uh, soliciting areas for fibers coming to this area. And when you do that, you, you end up partnering with multiple businesses, reduce your costs. I did another build last year where I was trying to uh, a provider moved actually two providers moved to another area out. Uh, on College Way, one of our main roads out here. And uh, with that, I also hooked up uh, two other businesses out there at the same time to reduce costs, with a third getting ready to come online. And uh, with that, um, we work with the providers and say, okay, now we can split the cost over some cost. This, this private uh, investor wants to get on, is going to pay a little bit to get on the fiber, and this one's going to pay some. This provider's going to pay some, and this other provider's going to pay some. 
in, in proportion of getting on. And then the city ourselves, we pay a share of that to, too to help get the build going. So that's what I mean by the public-private. We work with partnerships to make it happen. And how did you how did you find these um, these uh, providers that became partners? Uh, a lot of times communities are looking for them, and they they sometimes don't know where to look. Well, the, they've come at different times. The first one came. We sent out a request for proposals, an RFP, uh, way back when to get our very first one back in 2001. They just suddenly kind of emerged. How can that, they be a provider on your network? We don't charge a provider just to be connected to us. Provided we charge them for everything they hook, everyone they hook up, they have to pay for. Mm-hmm. Right now we were up to eight. We have actually uh, another thing with our provisioning up here because we're connected on a backbone going to Canada to the Hastings building and to the Western building in Seattle. We can get any provider we want riding up here. Really, with that because we're on big pipes going to both ends, places where everyone sits. Right, I think you have the the benefit of having a lot of other open access networks around you, which um, you know is something that other communities might want to think about. Which is if you're, you know, 700 miles away from the nearby, the most nearby open access network, uh, you know, it might be good to work with some other local communities to try and attract multiple providers. Funny you should say that. We're actually with our backbone. Uh, we're we're on multiple rings in the state, so anyone can put their stuff anywhere. They don't have to be sitting here uh, and working. We don't go down. <laughs> we can't go down now because there's so much writing on it. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for, for both of you coming on and, and helping us to learn more about the community. I hope that uh, it puts you on the map for some of our listeners. Well, thank you, Chris. Okay, yeah. great. That thank you. Thank you. That was Christopher with Mayor Jill Boudreau, Kim Kleppe, and Jana Anderson talking about the Open Access Network in Mount Vernon, Washington. If you visit the city's website at mountvernonwa.gov, you can learn more about their fiber optics from the city services menu. We want your questions or comments. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter to learn all about the most recent developments relating to community networks, broadband policy, and telecommunications. Our handle is at communitynets. This show was released on March 19, 2013. Thanks again to D. Charles Spear and the Helix for their song, Freddy's Lapels, licensed using Creative Commons. Have a great day, and thanks for listening.